Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where dancing with the wolves, more like stumbling and tripping and throwing the ball out of bounds to Michael B. Jordan with the wolves, because that's exactly what the Lakers did in their 108-102 play in victory over the Minnesota Timberwolves. But no matter how ugly, the Lakers won and they are officially playoff bound. They owe the Pelicans no pick swaps, and they go from the Wolves to the Grizzly Bears on Sunday. So, let's go. I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alan Riley, who was at the game last night, as was I, for all of the messy cardiac arrest-inducing drama. Alan, welcome to the show, first of all. Thank you. Um, the Wolves had a cat, an ant, a slow-mo, and a con man. But the Lakers had a king, a brow, a Hachi Godzilla, and a German <laughs> Shepherd. And that latter group, Alan, ended up being the difference. So tell me, based off of from your first-hand point of view, before we get into the specifics of the game, how you feeling after last night's roller coaster? And yeah, why don't you just tee us up to the atmosphere of the game? Because this was the first full-capacity play-in slash playoff game that we've had in the LeBron AD era, if you can believe it or not. It's crazy. I was at the last play-in game against the Warriors, but at that time, it was only 8,000 capacity, and we still had to present our vaccination cards. But man, Crypto.com Arena was rocking last night. In spite of how nerve-wracking it was, uh, take me through just like last night. Yeah, dude. So it was like a really spontaneous, impulsive purchase on my part. Someone within the organization I work for was selling their tickets. They posted it on their story. And then my coworker was like, oh, my God, you got to jump on these now. And I was like, OK, I did. And then she was like, all right, sounds good. But then someone else bought them like just before I did. 
Um, so she was like, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I was like, damn it. Like I was so distraught. So one of my coworkers was like, just forget about it. Move on. It wasn't meant to be. And then my other one was like, no, you still have to go to the game. So it was totally like the angel and the devil on each shoulder. So I just went on Ticketmaster and got something that was pretty comparable, <clears throat> figured out somebody to take and they agreed like immediately to go. So yeah, that all happened super fast the, the day before the game. Um, so I was already emotional getting into it, right? Like I wasn't anticipating going for very long. And then just as far as like being there, I mean, dude, I was like tense <laughs> the entire time. Uh, at, at literally at no point was I relaxed um, mm. until the end of overtime. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like there's like a, a propensity for me to end up at games that are super close nail biters, um, which is great. You know, I'd, I'd much rather have that just as far as entertainment goes. But um, God, it was like the most freaking stressful experience mm -hmm. I've had in quite some time. I literally had a headache at one point. Yeah. My head was throbbing. Um, I am usually pretty like subdued during games. Um, I mean, you know, you and I have watched games together many times, and I feel like we chat a little bit here and there, but we're pretty locked in. Um, I yelled expletives yesterday <laughs> uncontrollably, like the, the goaltending calls and no calls and whatever. Yes. And yeah, there were at least five times where I yelled some form of BS. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, dude, it was it was fun for sure. It brought out the best and worst in my character. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, like we'll we'll get into why it was such a roller coaster ride, of course. But and everyone here who watched the game and you know was listening to us obviously knows. But it was like super frustrating and fear infuriating and nerve wracking and annoying. <laughs> but also fun and exciting and head scratching. So that was it. Wasn't the crowd, I mean, for obvious reasons, but the crowd was as loud as I've ever remembered it. Yeah. It felt like I was in a nightclub where no matter how loud I yelled or yelled to try to talk to my friends next to me, my voice was being drowned out by everybody else, you know? And yeah, yeah. That was like the loudest refs, you suck, I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, like within one second, like all, all it took was like one fan to start refs, you suck. And then the next like time through 18,997 people were yelling it. It was so loud and so in sync, like my God. And I felt like, Alan, we willed this team to victory with our anxiety. I, I swear to God, like there were, to your point, there were a lot of audible groans and sighs and some very loud WTFs with kids around. Didn't matter. All from adults who I feel like haven't been in this environment in a while. So you could tell they slash we were getting a lot of our frustrations of the season and the last couple of years off our chest in one game. This game was so important and we haven't been here in a while and you just saw it all bubble forth i was joking with you that you know they kept showing this 99 year old woman <laughs> on the screen <laughs> yeah. like the oldest lakers fan and my god what a game to go to as a 99 year old and i was worried that i was joking about it but i was legitimately worried if she would make it to the end because i was having rolling heart attacks every five minutes you know so for a woman <laughs> she looked Crazy. like she was having a great time she was all smiles for sure no i'm glad she was able to go to that game last night we got the win that's all that matters we are now playoff bound let's talk about the actual game and 
let's talk about our macro thoughts on the game. I, I felt like, you know, it's very ironic that for a game where we couldn't hit our outside shot or even our mid-range shots, it was three timely threes that really took us over the edge. One, the LeBron three to tie it at 95-95. Two, the Schroeder should have been game winner on the baseline. And then three, the Rui overtime three. So those three threes really shifted the game for us and helped us pull it out at the end of the day. And it's just ironic because we weren't able to hit a three anytime else. So three timely threes. Um, I just felt like the Lakers coming into this game, and I had been tweeting about it, but the Lakers haven't been playing serious ball since their last game against the Wolves in Minnesota in the second half about two weeks ago. Um, because the last couple games, even though they were getting wins, they were against lesser opponents. The Lakers continually played down to those opponents. And, you know, fans on Twitter were telling me I was overreacting, that they'll flip the switch when they need to. And I was like, yeah, you can flip the switch mentally when you want to, but if your body hasn't been going up against high-caliber opponents, like, the muscle memory isn't going to be there. So you, your body and your your mental makeup is going to be off sync, and you saw that from the Lakers. They were they were actually hustling and trying hard. I felt like you know, but it didn't matter because they were missing their outside shots. Their the basketball IQ just wasn't there. They looked espe- they looked especially fatigued. Um, definitely LeBron James. So yeah, it was especially that especially that first half going into the third quarter. It, we just could never find a real footing. And our game plan against the Wolves, Allen, was very perplexing to start. And look, I know this is how Darvin Ham likes to defend, where we kind of wall off the paint and allow teams to sort of, I, don't, I wouldn't say dare them to shoot three-pointers, but kind of. But it's almost like we didn't account for Rudy Gobert being out and the Wolves playing five out with Cat and having an all-spacing lineup. And whether it was scheme-related or LeBron James a couple of times was just being lazy and not closing out to shooters like Torian Prince and giving them wide-open shots, regardless, we were just giving up practice three-point shots to this Wolves team to the point where by the time the second half hit, they were so comfortable hitting these shots, they had found a rhythm that they were starting to hit the contested ones as well, you know? I think they had 15 threes in the first half. And so for me, I was like, this doesn't seem like a recipe for success, And yeah, it wasn't because the Lakers really built themselves a hill to climb from there. But then, obviously, defense wins the day because the defense in the fourth quarter and overtime was stellar. People have probably seen the stats by now. We held the Minnesota Timberwolves to three points in the last six minutes, and those three points were the Conley free throws. We held Anthony Edwards to three of 17 shooting, zero for nine from three, four turnovers. AD, Rui, Schroeder were all tremendous defensively, and then even LeBron James finally stepped up a couple times in the fourth, switching on to Ant. Kyle Anderson, he had in a, in a torture chamber as well in the paint, was finally playing defense on Torian Prince, and the Lakers collectively just shut the water off um, on the Timberwolves. And so it was messy, it was ugly, you could tell our guys were tired, but you know, I guess, guess at the end of the day, to win an ugly game... And an ugly game in which D'Lo, Vando, Bees didn't contribute much offensively, as well as Reeves kind of being mediocre as well, and us turning the ball over like we did, and shooting the three-point shot as poorly as we did, because at one point we were like 7 of 27 from 3. The fact that all that happened, Alan, and we somehow managed to win an ugly game and pull it out, 
it's pretty encouraging. And for me, my takeaway is it can only hopefully go up from here. So what's your like macro view of this game? Yeah, no, you're right. Like the fact that we could pull out a game that we played pretty poorly in. And poor is not even a great way to describe it. It, it was like combination of, I feel like we did not have our composure to start the game. And it's not that we came out flat. Um, I know some people are saying, oh, you know, the Lakers might kind of come out lackadaisical, not focused because there's no Gobert and, you know, things like that. But that wasn't the sense I got in the arena. It's just we were like one step too quick physically, but mentally we weren't caught up with that. Um, So if we got some of those jitters out in this game, so to speak, that's the game to do it, right? You don't want to do that um, in the actual like first round and dig yourself so such a deep hole that you can't get out of it. So yeah, if this was like the dress rehearsal, work all the kinks out, make the dumb mistakes, and that way you're you're more primed and kind of like fine-tuned and oiled up or whatever for round one, then then so be it. I, I think that it was encouraging to see a guy like Dennis Schroeder start out pretty poorly. Like he was also falling into that trap of moving too fast. Um just trying to do a little bit too much. And then he rolls his ankle, which, you know, from where we were, like you could tell he was hobbled and, and something happened, but I couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was pretty gimpy. So I was like, Oh dude, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't come back to this game. Cause he's already missed some time. And then it's like, he settled in and was the MVP of the game. You mm-hmm. know, there's a stretch where he scored like seven points in a row. And yeah. I thought, okay, like he's locked in, he's good. And then defensively he was playing better too. Um, after that. So, I think that was like a revelation. Uh, and of course, like Schroeder can be a little inconsistent at times, but we know that Darvin likes to rely on him. So hopefully the sign of good things to come. Um, there were some players who, and you know, we'll get into this, like yes. did not play well, which was a bummer. <laughs> but um, like you said before, can't get much worse. And it could just be taken as like a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um, we battled through it. There were so many times where it felt like, you know, we're, we're fighting this uphill battle and the fact that the momentum kept getting squashed, like every yes. two minutes and 15 seconds, right? Go on a, like a nice little run, some stupid shit happens, and then we're back in that hole. Um, I, I was worried that we might get to a point where it's like we're just too tired or something. Mm-hmm. And in the back of our minds... It's not an elimination game, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, they, they fought freaking hard. Well, Alan, to your point, we were, we cut it, we got the lead in the first half, like end of the first half. We were up by like two or something. Um, I think Austin Reeves had an and one, and then he got a layup in transition from a LeBron, LeBron James pass. Anthony Davis got an and one and let out that primal scream. And then all of a sudden, like, because of one goaltending call against Jared Vanderbilt, the tide totally shifted. And it wasn't goaltending, right? Um, right. And they didn't call challenge. We didn't challenge that. We we called challenge later, and we got that successfully overturned our way. But I think that shifted the momentum to end the half. And, Alan, by, by the time it was over, I think we were either down by two points with a minute and a half left in the first half. By the time the half ended, we were down by 11. Yeah. Just to your point of just how crazy the swings were. And then in the third quarter, there was that moment where, we were, where it was – 80, we were down 80 to 65 and it just looked like okay this is we're probably on our last legs here 
and this is probably where we give way, you know? But this Lakers team has been so relentless, and, you know, Dan Che, who was sitting next to me, Dan, who's been on this podcast before, he was like, yo, this is a microcosm of our season, this game. (laughs) Yeah. It's, like, so ugly. You're not even sure if you want to cheer for this team anymore. You want to stay in it. There are a lot of self-inflicted harm here that we're doing to ourselves. Like, some of the turnovers at the end were just, like, nonsensical and unfathomable you know but you can kind of attribute that to how fatigued they were because alan we've been doing this the whole season anthony davis carrying the load lebron james carrying the load like it's only been this last third of the season where we got our new guys and we're reinvigorated but even in that reinvigoration we were trying to get a 16-7 and record to close the season out and even have this chance in the first place so you can only imagine you're just trying to breathe a sigh of relief, but it's not relief anymore because you've been, (laughs) it's like you've been smoking the entire time. Your lungs can't even get that release at the end of it. So that's kind of what it felt like. But to your point, the Lakers needed this tune-up game, Alan. So I'm glad that we had the play-in game because can you imagine if we had got into the sixth seed, got in a week, almost like a week and a half off, no, actually a full week off, and then had to play, I don't know, the Sacramento Kings or something in round one. You know, I've seen too many times from this team this season that if they have more than one day off in between games, Alan, they come back the next game shell-shocked like they have never played basketball before. And I think that's just a product of having like an older team or at least having your stars be older. It just takes them a little bit longer to ramp up even within games. So I'm glad that we got this. I'm glad that now it's the Grizzlies who we're going to face who, who've actually had more of the time off and who haven't faced a high-intensity, high-caliber competitive team more recently than we have, you know? Mm-hmm. So let's take it to break. When we return, let's get into the individual players, the ones we should praise, go more in-depth into those players, but also some of the players that, you know, kind of fell short, and we'll try and contextualize those games as well. So we will catch you guys after the break. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. All right, so we are back. Alan, before we get into the individual players, do any plays stand out in your head and your mind outside of the obvious ones from your vantage point? Mm, It shouldn't have been a freaking foul because it was a 50-50 ball. But LeBron, you know, sprinting three-fourths of the way down the court, diving after the loose ball, and just making that effort. And I guess, like, to see him sprint full out and dive on the ground like it's a fumble in football was just awesome to see in person. Yeah. Um, I feel like I've never seen LeBron do that type of thing before. 
that was just cool. And then I was, that was one of those times where I yelled bullshit really loud when they called the foul. <laughs> um, that stood out to me for sure. Um, what else? Oh, AD playing super physically against Cat at the mm-hmm. end of the game, just banging down there when Cat had five fouls. And, you know, he was still like trying to D him up too. And Cat was complaining that AD, you know, drew an offensive foul. I think you're talking about the play when LeBron James lobbed it up and Anthony Davis had to sky high for it. And then he kind of like shouldered Cat a little bit for the lay-in, right? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because AD gets a lot of flack. Not not really from us, but I think from the general population of like being soft or whatever. Mm-hmm. And for him to, you know, go against Cat, who's one of those premier bigs, um, someone who maybe people would think that AD would uh, shy away from or whatever. And uh, to just body him up like that was awesome to see. got me super fired up. Yeah, AD sure. had a few moments like that that really well, stood out to me. And defensively, too. Just like he had a big block on Torian Prince. I think that we were down five at that point near the end of the fourth. And yeah, I think what play stands out to me? Obviously, I have it on video, too. I posted it on Twitter. The play where D'Angelo is falling out of bounds and he throws the pass to LeBron James. LeBron James gets the ball and then knifes into the lane and then does a scoop-de-doo reverse layup, puts the extra English on it. Um, And if you slow-mo that down, it looks like one of those iconic, classic, you know, Michael Jordan moments, right? It's not going to be viewed as that because it's a random playing game, but man, poetry in motion from LeBron James right there. All right, let's get into the individual players. And of course, we have to start with the German shepherd, Dennis Schroeder. Um, (laughs) Look, man, that baseline three he hit. um, So I was actually also at the Charlotte game in December when Dennis Schroeder had a chance to win the game at the buzzer from that same exact baseline spot. And during that game, when Dennis missed that shot and we lost, I think, 132 to 130, I turned to my friend Andy and I was like, why isn't Lonnie Walker in the game and in that spot to take that shot? That shouldn't be Dennis Schroeder. Well, last night, Alan, that had to be Dennis Schroeder and thank God it was. So, I mean, the poetry is all right there. Dennis Schroeder said it himself. It was in the back of his mind or maybe the front of his mind and he shot that thing so true and also i want to give credit to what a pass by lebron james right like yeah that is an iconic moment if you slow-mo that down where he's like amongst the timberwolves trees and he contorts his body and lasers it right to dennis schroeder's chest in his shooting pocket you know that was amazing that that creativity in the air was michael jordan-esque honestly Absolutely. Actually, LeBron James had two of the biggest passes in this game. Obviously, the one to Schroeder, but he also passed it to Rui Hachimura in overtime for that open three as well. So, um, But yeah, Schroeder was huge. We were almost a sprained ankle in the first half away from not having that extra backup guard juice to pull this out, as you mentioned. And Schroeder carried us defensively, offensively. His aggression driving into the paint to get fouls was huge when nothing else was falling for us, you know? We needed somebody to put pressure on the paint because the Wolves were baiting us into taking three-point shots that we weren't hitting. And then on top of that, just his lightning quickness and speed just brings this team an added dynamic that keeps opposing defenses on their toes on both ends with how pesky he is. He's strong-willed. He's big-balled. He's got the cojones. He definitely made up for his 0-for-9 performance versus the Suns in my eyes. And look, I haven't been the biggest Dennis Schroeder fan. I have let it be known that I'm okay if we move on from him next season, this season. 
veteran minimum contract on the veteran minimum contract he's on. He's vastly outplayed that. I just aesthetically do not jive with how he plays. But when it comes to his will, his effort, his competitive intensity, that cannot be questioned with Dennis Schroeder. And we do not pull last night's game off without him. In some ways, Dennis Schroeder has been my version of what playoff Rondo was to Lakers fans mm. that championship season because they hated Rondo 80% of the season. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> Me, I hate Schroeder 90% of the season. And of course, he hits the game winner here and he pulls it off in our biggest game of the season yet. So um, well, anything else? Crow, dude. I ate that Dennis Schroeder crow. So anything else to add on Dennis Schroeder? Uh, yeah, dude, I, I agree with you. I, I think that he, he just has that, like, I don't give a F <laughs> mentality. And I mean, it was in the back of my mind, um, the game against Phoenix, you know, where he went over in the playoffs. And despite the fact that it's been however many years later, this is his second tour with us. And that was such an unceremonious ending to part one of his Lakers career. And it screwed up his entire um, contract negotiations and like really derailed um, kind of this portion of his career from a financial standpoint, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So for him to have this type of without sounding like super dramatic or whatever, but like a redemption arc, um, it is. Yeah, like, who would have thought, right, if you said this however many years ago? Um, so I'm I'm just happy for him, <laughs> like, as a person to have this moment of redemption. Um, and I, I feel like he, he had to have taken that experience and, like, learned from it, you know? I, again, he did not start out the game very good last night. Um, the friend that I went with, she, like, has not really watched the Lakers since, like, the end of the Showtime era got kind of disinterested oh, wow. in the nineties and two thousands. Mm-hmm. And I just convinced her like this year, Hey, you should get back into the Lakers. So she's been refamiliarizing herself with the organization. And then last night she was like, wait, 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 who's number 17 again. I was like, Oh, that's Dennis Schroeder. And she was like, he's not playing very well right now. I'm like, no, <laughs> he's not. It's got to pissing me off. And then, you know, he turned uh, everything on a dime. So yeah, uh, even that was like kind of a microcosm <laughs> of his yeah. experience with us. Tale of two halves. We don't win that game without him, like you said. And um, he's a guy going forward now that it's like, like you said, I love the playoff Rondo <laughs> kind of comparison. Um, I'm going to view it through that lens now for sure. And I'm going to actually feel a lot better about things. So appreciate that one. Well, playoff Rondo in the scoring aggression, defensive aggression sense, whereas Rondo was the playmaker, smart guy, high basketball IQ sense, right? Uh, Dennis Schroeder, for sure, it was almost like us, right? He sheer-willed this win for the Lakers. And um, let's move on to Rui Hachimura because, man, what a coming-out party for this kid. Um, he's had such an up-and-down roller coaster end of this season, not getting minutes, getting DNP'd, fans wondering whether the Lakers should keep him, and... Gosh, we really unlocked something and found something in that Minnesota game in Minnesota when he showed out defensively against Carl Anthony Towns, right? And he kind of continued that this game where he was stellar against Cat. Um, at times he was guarding Kyle Anderson. At times he was switched on to Anthony Edwards. It's really his mobility combined with his size that allows him and allows us to switch adequ- adequately enough against a five-out team like the Minnesota Timberwolves while also 
helping us maintain some sort of offensive competence on the other end that Jared Vanderbilt unfortunately doesn't provide, right? I mean, Rui hit two threes. Obviously, the big three in overtime, that was probably the biggest shot of his career. Huge growing moment for Rui. And he actually also had a block shot that he pinned to the glass that I thought was incorrectly called a goaltend. Um, but man, he was a beast on the defensive end. And I don't know if you noticed this, but from the fourth quarter on to, to the end, LeBron James was specifically calling Rui to set the screens for the pick and roll um, for him. And I think they've really found a nice rhythm and mojo with one another. I think part of that was because Carl Towns was guarding Rui, um, LeBron James wanted that mismatch, so he was calling Rui to set the screen. But regardless, a uh, huge game for Rui on both ends. I was seated right above the Lakers tunnel, and I got to shout out as Rui was coming down. I said, Rui, konbawa. I should have said ganbate or something like that, something better. But all I could think of was, konbawa, Rui. <laughs> it's like, good evening? Okay. Um, but anyways, your, your thoughts on Rui, Rui's game last night? Yeah. Correct me if I'm mistaken, but this has got to be his first postseason career game, right? You are mistaken. He actually has one series with the Wizards, and he actually did pretty well in that series. But in terms of high stakes for a team trying to go somewhere, uh, probably the biggest game still. Yeah, hard to keep track of the Wizards, <laughs> you know, <laughs> postseason track record over the last few years. Um, but yeah, it's to be like, oh yeah, he has playoff experience. Is like, eh, yeah, he has like some, you know. And, and this is, like you said, a, a very high leverage game. And the fact that he's ramping up and getting more comfortable in his role and the coaching staff is figuring things out rotation wise and all that stuff obviously couldn't have come at a better time. I mean, there are so many DNPs, um, which would be frustrating. And, you know, he's had interviews where he has said, like, I'm just trying to fit in. Um, I just want to do the right thing. And kind of sounded like not step on anybody's toes and, and that type of thing. But LeBron and AD went on record like the first couple games we had him and they said, no, we need him to like assert himself and be aggressive and do what he does best. Cause if he's not, then quite honestly, like what is he out there for? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I was telling my friend and you know, this is going to sound like one of those kinds of things, but I'm like, I feel like he plays really like, like Japanesey <laughs> and my friend who's also Japanese American. She's like, what do you mean by that? Like, he's like too humble or something. I was like, yep. yeah, pretty much like he's kind of like, Oh, like I'm going to get out of the way. Like you all do your thing. I'll support you. But it's like, no, <laughs> that is not your role at all on this team. Um, and now you, you could see like last night on both ends of the floor uh, that he was not hesitating. There's a lot more confidence in him. Um, a lot more like, decisiveness as well. He had that one play in the first half. I don't know if you remember, but he was at the three-point line and he took it off his own dribble into the paint and bully-balled like three dudes for the lay-in. And I was like, oh, Rui, wow. Yeah. Bull yes, in a China shop. Davis doing that to Cap, but like when Rui did it, I was I was freaking pumped up. And that was like on our end of yeah. the court. So we, we could see like dudes bouncing off of him. You can tell just by looking at him physically, like he's very capable of being that type of player. but. There, there have been a lot of moments in the paint where he hasn't been able to finish at the rim, right? He, he kind of loses the ball, misses these little chippies, and it's super frustrating. And I feel like that only happens when a person's, like, thinking too much or they're not, like, playing based off of their instincts, right? For sure. Um, and, yeah, I'm not going to use, like, the S word that rhymes with Croft <laughs> um, to describe him. But sometimes it felt that way. Like, dude, come on. You, you got you to gotta play a little bit tougher than that. Yeah. And yeah, yesterday he did really when it mattered most. There was a 
portion of the game where I was like, off the bench, he's like our MVP right now. Um, right before Schroeder started stepping it up because he did help us to swing the momentum. Um, I'm sure Stu Lance was watching this game thinking, oh, he's putting it looked like he put a little more arc on his shot. I know Stu mm-hmm. loves to say that because he does have a super flat shot. But when he was shooting from three, I'm like, okay, it, it looks like um, these these shots have a better chance of going in, you know? For sure. So, um, yeah, dude, it was it was great to see. I, I hope that it could be sustained and him stepping up against Cat defensively. Because, um, I mean, Cat is definitely, he's like a good three to four inches taller than him, probably outweighs him by a solid 20 to 30 pounds. But uh, he did work. So it'll be interesting in the Memphis series to see what that matchup is going to look like with, you know, whoever maybe Jared Jackson Jr. or Xavier Tillman or whatever. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Rui is like the iron giant. He doesn't know how strong he is sometimes. You know yeah. what I mean? Um, let, okay. So for the sake of time, we're going to pick up the pace and I'm going to couple the last two players together because in a lot of ways it makes sense to couple them because they are our starting backcourt and they both had okay to very poor games and so Austin Reeves and D'Angelo Russell Austin Reeves I felt like had good moments but overall he was kind of so-so he was playing hard but I think kind of like D'Angelo he kind of looked sped up last night he had three turnovers wasn't efficient four of 13 from the field he had a huge and one that turned the tide in the first half and as I mentioned it was followed up by a transition layup off a LeBron pass so that was huge and Reeves also hit a big three in the third quarter that was actually pretty big because the play before that, he had a costly turnover. So for him to then knock down a three right after that, I felt like was pretty ballsy. And actually, I think he had missed a three right before that as well. So good on Reeves for still taking that shot and wheeling it in. Um, but I think it's clear he's not getting that little shoulder bump foul call that he, he, he was getting earlier in the year. And it's clear that teams are now scouting and scheming for him. So feel like Austin has to slow down a bit and adjust to that, but I think he's smart enough and I'm not too worried. Um, your quick thoughts on Reeves. I realize we can probably do him pretty quickly. Yeah, no, I agree with you. He, he tried to have, you know, those little bump on the hip type of moments um, and they just weren't coming. But yeah, the fact that he was able to knock down uh, open threes and, and I feel like they'll run more plays for him, like pin down screens, just catch and shoot types of options and uh you know he's a pretty sharp shooter when it comes to that or even just like taking one dribble so yeah hopefully they'll adjust in that type of way yeah and reeves is a competitor he will find a way to be productive somehow right all right let's move on to the struggle bus d'angelo russell Uh, he did look bothered and out of sorts by anthony davis's pressure anthony davis anthony edwards pressure on the perimeter who obviously knows his game well from playing with him the last two years uh i felt like D'Angelo was almost very passive, listless, you know, to start the game. Mm. Too reliant on his three-point shot to dictate the rest of his offensive game. And the times that he did try to drive, I felt like he was almost foul baiting or trying to get the foul. And so he drove very softly versus trying to go up strong. And he got stripped on one of those drives in particular. Um, I really feel like, and this is in him, I don't know why he doesn't go to it more, but he needs to diversify his offensive game and kill teams in the pick and roll and unleash his mid-range game because he's our most prolific mid-range shooter volume-wise from that spot. And the one shot he hit was in the mid-range, right? So I'm like, why doesn't he do that more if he's struggling from the outside just to see the ball go in? That said, 
in a game where no two Lakers could make a standard elementary chess pass to one another, Allen, I do find it amazing that D'Angelo Russell had eight assists and just one turnover. That is a true marvel in a game like last night. And actually, because of that, I was like, it seems like we're having trouble inbounding the ball in these crucial late game situations. Maybe just have D'Angelo do it, you know? <laughs> um, and, and then last thing I'll say on D'Angelo is, and I mentioned this on Twitter, but D'Angelo Russell and Mike Conley in Mike Conley's stage in his career right now are very similar players, actually. And I had both in fantasy basketball, so I know how this works. But when D'Angelo Russell's shot isn't falling, sorry, when D'Angelo Russell's shot is falling, he will look like Mike Conley did last night. <laughs> you know, six of eight from three, right? And when Mike Conley's shot isn't falling, Alan, he actually looks like what D'Angelo Russell did last night. You know, it's like he's like one for seven, only like four points, but he'll have a little bit, he'll have a couple assists here and there. Except with D'Angelo Russell, because he's a taller point guard, because he has a better mid-range game and he has more sort of electric vision, he has higher upside than Mike Conley. So even when his three-point shot isn't falling, I feel like he he has to do a better job of trying to be more effective in other ways and, and more aggressive in other ways. You know what I'm saying? But overall, I'm not too worried about D'Angelo. He's been in situations like this before. I'm confident he can rebound. Yes, I'm worried about the physicality, lack of athleticism aspect of things, especially going up against the Memphis Grizzlies, which we'll get to in a later pod. But this is one hiccup on the year. D'Angelo Russell, when he's played for us, is shooting 48% from the field and 41% from three. This is probably his one real supremely bad shooting night, you know? So what are your thoughts on D'Angelo? It was so bad that he's going to be that much better later. (laughs) You know, it's not like he shot like three for 10 or something, right? He was one for nine. So um, one cool thing when you are at the game is you can observe the player's like during timeouts and huddles and things like that. And because it was no secret that D'Lo was having an awful game, I was kind of curious, like, what does he look like when he's sitting on the bench, uh, right when a timeout is called, you know, who's jumping off the bench to greet guys and dap them up and things like that. And it's always D'Lo, like the first dude, like super positive energy. If you just looked at his body language uh, while he was on the bench, you would think that he was having a great game individually. Mm. And I don't think that, like that would surprise anybody. He's not the type to kind of wallow in self-pity and let stuff get him down. He seems like really stable. And I know that um, he himself has said, like, I'm, I'm grown up now. Like I'm a man. And I think that's the evidence right there. Now we'll see what happens in the next series. Um, but I feel like he is pretty even keeled actually. And while his play was pretty poor last night, um, I'm not terribly concerned about him. Um, you know, this turning into some sort of slippery slope or anything like that. Alan, I have a hot take, though. Mm. I think I need D'Lo to stop being even keeled sometimes because I think he can play it too cool, if you know what I'm saying. And I almost want him to be an asshole like Dennis Schroeder because he's too talented to... Sometimes I feel like he settles and knows his place a little bit too much. And he goes from... Like, we know what Ohio State D'Angelo Russell looks like. We know what like I've never left D'Angelo Russell looks like. We know what this is why I'm here D'Angelo Russell looks like. I Ice want that being summer league. Yeah, I want that guy. <laughs> exactly. I want that guy to come out more and I don't want it to just come out Allen when he's got his three-point shot going because it feels a little bit front runnery to me when he does those things. 
I want D'Lo to have a sucky game, kind of like Dennis Schroeder did, and then rebound from it and just sheer will himself into doesn't matter. I'm going to have a good game no matter what my percentage is. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. But to your point, I, I think that's in him. It's just yeah. gaining a comfortability overall with this team. But anyways, what an insane game to go to. The Lakers are headed to the playoffs, Alan. On to the Grizz we go. I swear to God, if we lose to Dylan Brooks and Ja Morant, these a goofy movie-looking MFers, um, <laughs> along, <laughs> along with a T-Rex arms bay. Can you illustrate some, some goofy movie, like, goofy movie-ify them? <laughs> Dude, you don't have to. Just look at Dylan Brooks and Ja Morant and look at a poster of a goofy movie, and you'll know what I'm talking about. We, we cannot lose to the Grizz. Each <laughs> he looks like, what's his name? Um, shoot. Dylan Brooks? Yeah. What's the the guy who sings that song in a Goofy movie? Oh, 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 shoot. Powerline. There you go. He looks like Powerline. Yeah. (laughs) We cannot lose to Powerline, my friends. Anyways, for now, Lakers survive. What a freaking game. (laughs) What a freaking game to be at for better and for worse. But it was for the better because the Lakers are headed to the playoffs. So we will catch you guys next time. Look out for our Memphis Grizzlies preview. Alan, I'll catch you later. Gorsh. Oh, God. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.